On this live episode of Transforming Cities, I was joined by Clayton Garrett and Scott Snodgrass of Maristem Communities. During the live event, we chatted ecosystems, residential development, the concept of town centers, and much more. We also gained a deep insight into Indigo, the latest project by Maristem in Richmond, Texas, and what that's all about. Be sure to let me know if you like this format and get on the list at transformingcities.io for future guest announcements and more information weekly. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Clayton and Scott. Thanks, Chris, for um, so much great communication about, and you know, this platform I think is amazing. I really appreciate LinkedIn Live as well. Um, so I'm Clayton, uh, a co-founder of Maristem Communities, uh, also co-founder of Agmenity, which is our agricultural amenities services company. That's how we got started in development. Um, I have a legal background, so I'm a licensed Texas attorney. I try not to practice as much as possible. Uh, which is great to lean on some uh, actual attorneys uh, for a lot of our development work. Um, but I've always been interested in small businesses, have a, a family farm uh, and engaged in that work and kind of learning about uh, what happens there. And then that's kind of a through line for me from from small business to you know small agricultural business and then uh, a small development business doing a big development. Um, yeah. And then uh, Scott Snodgrass, also a founding partner of uh, Maristem Communities. And, uh, you know, my background came really through agriculture. Um, I was involved in small scale vegetable production. And uh, like Clayton mentioned, we have Agmenity, um, which is a company that offers agricultural amenity services to developers and hospitals and school districts. Um, we basically put small urban farms into neighborhoods um, and, and other institutions. And we were walking alongside the development process with so many different developers across the country as we did that work. And uh, I think it really just, um, you know, we, we thought what more impactful work could you do than provide people the food they eat, right? That was always our <laughs> idea as a farmer. And then as we walked through this process, we said, whoa, like designing the built environment is even more impactful, right? It even changes the way you eat. Um, you know, we have all this research coming out in the past five to 10 years now about the way we eat being controlled to a degree by the built environment. So, um, you know, we, we got excited about this work in, in development and the, the impact it could have on our friends and neighbors. And so we just jumped in and we, we always say we've been drinking through the fire hose, um, uh, you know, learning this, this industry really quick here. Well, let's jump right into places for people, because this is, you know, this is a banner for the work that you guys are doing. Um, and, and the way that you described it to me is that you've always been building places for, for the user, for the renter, for the owner, for the person, rather than the cars or the corporations or the capital interests. Um, you have said that's your over, over, overall unifying theme for the work that you do. So I'd love to, to jump into what that means to you both. And um, I'll let whoever wants to jump in first and take that. Sure. So, you know, it is places for people. That's what we say, but it's also, it can be slightly adjusted and be places for the people. Uh, and so to a degree, this is, you know, the, the roads that we're heading down uh, and how we look at our process and what we're creating, you know, very much are about the democratization of, uh, of development and doing it more for the end user and people, like you mentioned, other than all the little decisions that can be controlled because your capital, you know, whether it's equity or it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, debt financing, because they have certain restrictions, then you have to act differently. And we hear, you know, you hear this a lot with parking. Um, 
that you get a city to agree to a reduced parking requirement for a property that you don't think needs as much parking, uh, especially with multifamily. And then the bank won't finance the deal without all those parking spaces because they see it as a risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we wanted to break free from what we felt like were um, some of those unnecessary requirements uh, and really just, you know, focus on designing for people. And so when we we still run into those barriers, um, but when we do, we we do research, um, we provide as much data, we back up our arguments and we take those to, you know, whether it's uh, a city or it's a, a bank or whoever take those arguments there and have those discussions. And ultimately we're going to work with partners who understand that Uh, we're new right now. um, But I think as we build a little bit of a reputation, um, you know, we'll be identifying those sorts of partners that are along for that ride with us uh, and really want to focus on how do we make uh, a place that leads to more healthier outcomes for people, um, more community building for people and provides them more opportunities to, to live the life they want to live. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we came from the consulting world. So part of our framework for looking at stuff was, you know, big picture, like how can we start with this big, beautiful vision? And then as sort of the process happens, you start to chop it up. Right. And so you're seeing a couple of slides here of, of something that we were able to maintain throughout this process was the idea of like, can you walk, can you, can you walk out of your door and engage, not cars, not street, but community and then having a place to go, right? So the, you have some different types here of sidewalks and you know urban uh, spaces. Linear parks is really what we call this, but this is a front door with a porch system that runs around around a linear park system that engages our Indigo Commons. Uh, and so our expectation here is that uh, family can live in a different way, right? So you have eyes on the street here. Um, so if you're on in the your street, home, yeah, on the on the quote unquote street, right? Um, and, you know, we both have young kids and young families. And the thing we want to do is kick our kids out of our house and get out of our house, right, at various times of day <laughs> and engage community. Like, go find a friend, go play with that friend. That's how, uh, you know, I grew up, was fortunate to. Uh, and so that's, that is what the design, the built environment here can do. Now, we know there's lots of challenges, right? So you have, you have a lot of uh, what you're not seeing is all the engineering challenges, the ecosystem challenges. You see these catenary lights running, you know, linear down this park. Like that's its own challenge, right? That uh, creates a, a certain framework. Uh, but at the same time, you have this opportunity to really, I think, have community shine in this different way than we experience. And certainly in the Houston suburbs, it also means that these homes are alley loaded, for instance. So that's a whole different uh, framework. Um, but that's what it means for us. I mean, that's a small snapshot in my mind, at least, about what we're trying to do. So. You know, for me, this is uh, a very subtle, free-range children conversation, right? People can engage with some limited supervision in a in a true, authentic community way uh, that's not on the street. And so you're creating a much safer environment. It has its own sort of challenges and frameworks, just like every other sort of uh, uh, problem does. Yeah. I, I, that resonates with me quite a bit just because we, we were talking just before we hopped on here that, um, I have a two-year-old now and, and you were asking about terrible twos versus, uh, what was it? The, the, <laughs> the three, three nager. T- yeah. 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 And the jury's still out on that, but, but, uh, you know, getting him outside and, and playing in the, in the neighborhood is, is obviously priority number one at different times of the day. And, um, I love that you're thinking about this and sort of developing this into the, the greater ecosystem of, of Indigo, 
which dovetails purpose, pur <laughs> purposefully and perfectly right into this next section, because I think I would love for you both to expand upon this idea of the ecosystem of, of Indigo. And we'll, we'll link to Indigo at the end of this and, and viewers can, can check that out, but talk to us about how this relates to your farming background, because I believe it does relate to that mindset and that, uh, that way with which you've both sort of grown up. Yep. Um, you know, first it's, uh, it's the, the difference between kind of the modern reductionist thinking, um, and, and opening your mind up to the fact that life is very complex and this universe is very complex. And so even in agriculture, we saw the same thing. You have your massive thousand acre farms that are input output. So I believe if I drive the tractor over it four times, I put these chemicals out, I put this seed in the ground at the end, I will get this product. Um, and then the kind of farming that we were involved in, which is small scale. Um, it's very high touch. We have people in the fields every day adapting to conditions in the field. Um, same thing on the sales side, right? Adapting to the market conditions, um, not being beholden to commodities contracts, um, those sorts of things. And so when we flipped over to development, it was the same thing. It's why, why put ourselves into a commodity bracket? Why build the same homes in the same format that everyone else is? Why be on the supply side of the equation? Why not be on the demand side? Why not, why not create something that is so desirable to so many people, not everyone, but to many people, um, that they had to come. And so, you know, we look at this as this giant complex web. And I think this image kind of shows that this is only 200 and only, only 235 acres, which for Houston is a small development. Um, but when, you know, when you look at this, we have a complex street system. We have complex green linear parks. Um, we have farm integrated in with, you know, commercial spaces, uh, as well as over at our amenity lake. Um, you know, we're designing our amenity lake as an ecosystem and putting in wildlife habitat, um, digging it, you know, deeper than most people in our area would to create those natural cycles so that it can be a healthier lake. So really just both working with nature, but then also viewing this whole thing as a natural system and making one decision in one place can impact many other places throughout the community as well. And so that requires really careful consideration as we make decisions. You know, it's also the belief that everything is connected. So we just believe, you know, where, where there was a chance for us to disconnect a component or a part, we've chosen to connect it. So, you know, we know that, uh, for instance, to the south of us, there will be some, some sort of development happening in some framework. And so we've made, you know, a potential connection point and where we thought was a smart and, you know, useful connection to that neighborhood. And it's like, we don't know, we have no clue what's happening there, but um, but we do know that something's going to happen and that uh, if we design it in a way that makes sense, that those connection points will, will be a, a benefit or accretive to our project and, and probably to the project to the South. Right. And so, mm. um, you know, that's a fundamental belief. I mean, we, we view sort of even the, the types of homes and what we're choosing to do um, from a rental or from ownership uh, standpoints, like those are also choices that, we want to people to explore in a way. So, you know, this is a holistic ecosystem. We've looked at aging in place and all sorts of other frameworks. Uh, and so that's, that's part of the ecosystem is that things are of the nature to change, you know, where it makes sense. We've tried not to put restrictions on that potential future change. 
Uh, and a lot of the times we're not going to be around for changes, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. I mean, hopefully mm -hmm. we have some influence as a team, but um, so that's, that is the ecosystem is in, in my mind, at least is this living and breathing system. And we're trying to frame it in a way that makes sense uh, for a long term. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transforming Cities brought to you by Authentic. Authentic delivers premier multifamily brand experiences and smart digital marketing. Our proven approach aims to accelerate leasing velocity, boost rental rates, and increase long-term value. Simply put, we see brand as a business asset. You can find out more at AuthenticFF.com. Yeah, let's, I would love to dive into that a little bit more because I know you're thinking about um, different stages of life, kind of relating back to that ecosystem thought process. And that ties in really well to the housing typologies that you have built into Indigo. And it's not just a one size fits all. And I think you have some really great perspectives and, and, and points of view around housing and creating variety in housing. Um, so Clayton, maybe you could start us off here with kind of talking about this segmentation plan we have up on the screen here that is collectively making up all of Indigo, but you know, it's, as I said, it's not just one thing it's, there's quite a few options here and, and with good reason. Yeah, we're in a, in, in the Houston suburbs context, we're in mostly a, um, a two parent with children household type. So we build homes for that typology, which means the suburbs are, you know, three and four bedrooms, uh, for the most part across, you know, vast, uh, swaths of, of, of the area. And so what you're seeing here is really a specialty in the real estate vernacular. This is a specialty product, right? Where we're, we have a lot of different, uh, a diversity of housing types. What we've come to understand is this is an, essentially a missing middle typology, right? There's a new term that's kind of been brought forth by one of our friends, Dan Parolik, uh, out of, out of Berkeley and Opticos is his firm, but you know, there's, there is a huge market segment that is not served by the current uh, new development that happens. And so we've really studied, um, what, what housing we can add and what types we can, uh, incorporate. And so that's kind of what we're seeing. So you see everything when you look at the square footage range, you know, this will blow a lot of people's minds. Right. But you see uh, very small, uh, single family detached homes, which is our, we're calling these a cottage. Uh, we'll see some images later on down the, uh, in the presentation of, uh, about those, but you see those starting at, you know, 800 square feet. And then we, we go to the sort of suburban range of, uh, 3,100 square feet, uh, as well in a single family, um, detached as well. And then you have some attached products. So, you know, different, at different life stages, people want different, uh, housing types. And so, starting to see some of these imageries. This is interesting. This is an alley load. So when people traditionally think of alley load, they're much narrower than this. So part of our, uh, part of our constraint, but also part of the opportunity for us was to make an alley look more like a front load, uh, home. So you see generous green spaces. We, these will be landscaped with street trees. So you're starting to blur some of these, uh, lines that you typically see in a development pattern. Um, and then these, some of these live on the street, you know, there's a dual street load and some of them live on these linear park system that we talked about and showed earlier. Uh, and so, and then this is a cottage, right? So, a, um, and it, this is an 800 square foot. These happen to be located. There's uh, 17 in our first section. It's located on the farm itself. So again, you don't have, uh, you don't have three and four story homes next to them, right? It makes sense from a vernacular, from a placemaking standpoint, these will live a certain way. They're for a certain type of person that wants to live in this community in a sort of visible 
space, but also have this very private uh, yard. There's a shared parking. You know, it's lots of interesting things related to it. And and uh, and this, you know, this is specifically for certain life stages. You know, yeah. this is for the the empty nesters who want to significantly downsize. Um, you know, this is for the even aging beyond that. Uh, it's also for, you know, young couples who don't want to be in an attached product or renting. These are fee simple for sale homes. Uh, and so we think they, they fit a wide range of, of family stages and formations, um, but also they get the affordability down. I mean, this is a small square footage of lot. These lots are 2,100 square feet. So very small. Uh, and then the homes running from 1,800 to 1,400 are very small as well. And so that that gets that allows us to get pricing down well below what other communities are. I mean, those may debut at at like 60 percent of the cost of some of the smallest units in other master plan communities in our area. And it's not by sacrificing right. the quality of the architecture or the quality of the construction. Uh, it's simply by, uh, re, you know, reducing the square footages that are contributed to it. These are some of the townhomes uh, that one of our builders is, is looking at building in the community. These would be right next to Indigo Commons, which is our town center. And so we wanted a very urban look to these townhomes. We wanted them to look like row homes. Um, and so on these, they have a tuck under garage from the alley on the back. This is the front of the home. And you're looking at four units there. And then you have the option on the bottom floor of either a tandem car garage, because these interior units are only 16 feet wide. Or you could go with a single car garage and have another room on the bottom floor down there that could be for your boomerang kid back from college, you know, or uh, a mother-in-law suite. Um, or you could use it as your office or your gym. Um, but it's right on the street, you know, opens up right into the public realm there. One of the things that I've noticed about all of these renderings is that there is a thoughtfulness to obviously the architecture and the design itself, which is, you know, kudos to you guys for, for, uh, waving that flag, but I think there's a lot of uh, emphasis here on light and sort of access to what's going on on the outside. And I'm not sure if that was a um, conscious decision. I, I, I have to imagine it was, but can you speak to some of the architectural decisions across these housing typologies that sort of, I mean, they're all very different and yet they feel interconnected in a way that I think is um, really well done. Um, so Scott or Clayton, feel free to, to pick that one up. Yeah, let me just say real quick that we, we have to thank Dolan Group Architects for a lot of that work um, on the the product itself. So they've designed some of these units for one of our builders, Empire Communities, but they also wrote the architectural guidelines for the entire neighborhood. So all of our builders are beholden to those and they require things like front porches and windows. Uh, and then, you know, we have four architectural styles they can choose from and that really what builds that cohesive Kind of feel and then also uh drew watkins at jzmk is our land planner uh, and mm -hmm. i think land planning goes a lot into that as well that he's found ways to take very different products and arrange them in a community that um that gives you little pockets that feel really similar but then they they also don't feel um completely different than the next section over right absolutely All right, let's let's pop into the downtown because there's so much to cover here. I feel like we could talk about each one of these sections for about 30 minutes, but since we're trying to do it all in about 30 minutes, let's uh, let's proceed here into the downtown because we have a, a lot more to show here. And I, I think it sort of ties into what we just talked about with the, the housing side of it. But there's a whole piece here that has to do with the downtown or the town center and this this area where people congregate. 
And I know that your approach to development in this space is very incrementally based. So um, Clayton, maybe you could kick us off on this one. Right now we're looking at sort of a diagram of, of the hypothetical town center. Walk us through the thinking here and kind of what we're looking at. And then I know we have a few more slides here to kind of show the different options when it comes to some of that incremental development mindset. Yeah. When you when you design for places for people, you have to have somewhere for those people to go. So we knew we wanted, um, you know, a mixed use center essentially that that was walkable and connected. So you're seeing uh, uh, on this image, you're seeing from uh, north to south the sort of parkway, right? That connects directly into the community, and so um, that's a plaza. And that, in our case, that's a HOA and, and uh, municipal utility district facility. So those are oak parks that are open to the public that happen to kind of uh, connect all the way through to the barn, which is sort of the cathedral on the hill, uh, which event space and, and things like that. And then you see this block structure. So um, uh, to the right of your screen, you see our commons, this the, uh, the cottages, excuse me, uh, and the vineyard that we just showed in those other images. And then you start to see the parking sort of type apology and then you start to see the edges and so we're paying attention to the street um, and the street conditions and their street on street parking so that's sort of the framework is right a place to go and then this sort of block structure uh, and then you know I think as we looked at our our home offerings and we looked at diversity and we really tried to pay attention to affordability we thought okay well how can we how can we have businesses that are part of our ecosystem in a very integrated way in the same case so we've looked at some of our buildings and started to pull them apart and said, how can just a normal person uh, that's trying to live the, the true American dream buy a home? And, and so we have these three sort of pathways to purchase. And this took a tremendous amount of time for us to really understand uh, the framework that from a building standpoint and from a constructability standpoint and, you know, overall platting and everything else, like um, how to, how to accomplish this. So, you know, in our case, we're offering sort of a, an, a, a, a lot to sell, right? And so that's uh, the build your own building pathway one. And then, we, you know, we will build a block structure or an individual building uh, and that's pathway uh, two. And then, you know, somebody can buy a, a com fully completed kitted out building and and, um, and that's pathway three. And so you'll start to see some of the type, the mm what we're looking at from an old downtown framework here uh, in some of the later images. Um, but that's, that's the sort of understanding that we wanted to come to is, is the deep connection of retail, multifamily, whatever else it is, but offering those to people and letting them choose and be flexible with the, yeah. the type. So pay attention to the form, but not at the actual pay less attention to the process. Uh, although we'll be very involved in it. Yeah, when I first saw this, I have to admit, I, I saw it as something that seemed too simple to be executable. And then I realized there must have been months and months of thought put into this because the way it's presented is almost too simple. Um, but it makes sense, when, especially when we look back at this image and we take a look at these retail blocks that could come to life. And so when you see the options presented and then you sort of move into these different retail typologies, it starts to paint the picture and tell the story. And I think this is super fascinating. Um, Scott, can you speak to some of the the differences in these slides? I think we have five or six different yeah. versions here of, of sort of mixed use and retail and so forth. Walk us through kind of the thinking here and how you see this coming to life at, at Indigo. So one of the, the most important things that drove us in this direction was just realizing that um, people are forced into more square footage than they need for retail spaces. 
that it's very hard to find a space under 1,200 square feet. And in a lot of markets, even under 2,000 is difficult to find. And there are so many businesses that could be very successful in fewer square feet. And if they're paying less for that space, then financially they can, they can be even more successful. And they don't have to feel that constant churn of like, I got to grow, I got to grow, I got to grow. It could just be, hey, this is working for me. Uh, this is comfortable for me. Maybe I don't want to have employees. Uh, and so I don't need a bunch of space. I just want to hone my craft and do that. And and this is the, you know, we think of it as like the European, you know, model, right? Where you, you would have these small little uh, cheese shops in France or whatever. Uh, mm. And it, it feels so far away and impossible here. And part of the part of the reason why is that we have, you know, retail for lease and they're big spaces. And those leases can be pretty extractive. If it's, if you have a lot of people coming in and out of your doors, your landlord's going to ex- assume you're successful. And I guarantee you when your five-year note comes up, you're going to get that that raised. And we've had restaurant friends whose rent has doubled at renewal. Uh, and so just talk about killing a business and extracting all the value out of it. That restaurant now has to leave, which is a huge hit to them. So here in this space, uh, we said, let's go, let's start with a smaller module. So 20 feet of storefront, 40 feet deep. So each of these units is 20 by 40 uh, in this image that you're looking at right here. And then uh, we have multiple floors. So, you know, bottom floor, we're requiring everything has to be active retail so that it could be a service business, but it has to be one that's very active and that anybody could just drop in um, to check out and see what services you have. So we really want the mom and pops, the small businesses, uh, some of it to be fun, unique stuff, but also some of it to just be like, you know, I have to buy this. I have to buy paper goods. And so there's a store here that, yeah, they sell some cool stationery and cardstock, but they also just have printer paper uh, for sale. And so finding, um, you know, a space that that fits those. So this one here, you're showing retail on the bottom floor. And then maybe you just have your own offices for your retail business on the second floor. Maybe it's storage. Uh, so this is our kind of smallest and simplest module. Here you have retail, um, but now you have an apartment, like a flat above it. And again, you're owning everything vertically here. These are fee simple, you know, sold buildings. It's not condoized. Um, there's actually a two inch air gap between each of these buildings. And so you're owning these two. So you could live in the apartment above uh, or you could, you know, you could lease it out to someone else and have income from it. And in fact, we have, uh, you know, there's a great story. One of our consultants, Monty Anderson, who really kind of charged us with this idea. Um, he's got a, a shop in Midlothian, Texas, where there was a family that wanted to start a donut shop. So they sold their home and bought a space like this that was mixed use, lived upstairs, started the business. Mm. After the business was successful and cash flowing, they then went and used that income to buy a new home and then leased out the apartment in their building. Um, and so I think, you know, there's like really powerful uh, narratives for small businesses. I mean, how, why do we have good, you know, good home ownership rates in the U.S.? Because we have 30 year mortgages that make that monthly payment, you know, lower. And we have FHA guarantees that allow us to get there. Well, the same thing here on the financing side, we wanted to deal with it. So the SBA offers a 25 year note for properties like this. Uh, and so we wanted to do it in a fashion that fit. Um, so you can, if you want to run through the others here, I can hit them real yeah. quick too. So some of these, we go to three story and maybe you do retail office residential. Um, we also have options where maybe you have two stacked flats above, or even where you have a two story townhome. So you could have a, you know, a 700 square foot retail space and then a 1400 square foot townhome above. Uh, we think that'll be a popular one. This is it. Uh, that may be it there. Um, but that's yep. one of the ones we think will be popular. Um, and then uh, here it is. It's this one, actually. And then I think the final options are showing you like the 20 by 40 is just a module. We may have some businesses who do want more square footage than 700. 
So this shows you an option where you could have a 1,400 square foot retail space on the bottom floor and maybe even three apartments on the second floor. This is a, someone just mentioned here, uh, Todd, I agree with you completely. Very powerful story, uh, especially in the development space. You don't you just don't see this very often. I mean, there's the multifamily story that we all know that we all are familiar with, you know, boutique multifamily, midsize, institutional size multifamily. But to think about development in this way, um, I'm almost speechless to some extent because it is such a new conversation and a new way of thinking about it and the way that you've presented it, not only in the story itself, but also in the visuals that you've been able to create to guide that story along. Um, Clayton, I would like to give you the last word here before we switch over to Q and a. So for anyone listening, watching, feel free to shoot over your questions. Now we're going to run through those, uh, in just a moment here, but any final thoughts, Clayton, on just the, the infrastructure here, when it comes to the town center and this idea of like the downtown where everyone will, um, uh, come and congregate. You know, I think we're, uh, we've looked at this from a demand generation standpoint. So, you know, we, we expect for people to demand to be here. And so that's how we've sort of designed the framework. Um, and I think Scott and I are also like, we, we've benefited from sort of beginner's mind here. So, you know, if, if there are projects out there in the world, if the development community uh, wants to share some interesting things with us, we'd love to uh, really understand, you know, where, where people are doing something similar to us. Cause I think so much of our, uh, our lack of education in this space, formal education, as to say, uh, you know, prevents us from like really understanding what else is happening. So we get a lot of feedback, like you just mentioned, where it's like, oh, this is really unique and interesting. And sort of our commentary and thought process is like, well, why? Like this doesn't, I mean, it's, it makes sense to us from a very logical standpoint, mm. but it's been very difficult, right? There's a lot of challenges to do it. I think we're up for those challenges. Um, so uh, we'd love to, you know, just be part of the community and share and like formats like this, I think are incredibly helpful. So we, we watch these. Uh, and learn from other people. And so we're happy to share sort of our knowledge and wisdom, uh, if, if any, uh, with others. Well. <laughs> I think there's plenty of knowledge and wisdom here to, to share. Um, so guys, I, I appreciate it again. I mean, it's, it's incredible how quickly 30 minutes goes by. I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg here, but I want to make sure that we have some time for Q and a again, special thanks to you guys. Um, check out, uh, both maristemcommunities.com and indigocommunity.com for more information about this work. Um, I appreciate everyone joining today. Check out transformingcities.io again and my crew at authenticff.com. Um, let's get to some questions. So Jason asks, how have you approached policies that weren't set up for people-focused development in your particular development here with Indigo? I think it's a great one. Yeah, I think for you know, we're not afraid to just talk a lot <laughs> in lots of different ways. So uh, in, in Scott's former life, he was a teacher. And I think we really benefit from just sort of the pedagogical approach of like, let's just talk about this. Let's really understand. Let's direct our comments back to exactly what the fear is. So, uh, you know, people will talk about density and then, you know, we'll start talking about parking, right? Well, let's actually talk about density if you're concerned about that. And let's use data and research and evidence. Uh, and so I think there, there's a willingness. I think also, um, you know, we come from an approach of like, th there are shared goals. So the city, like if we're partnering with the city, for instance, we have a shared goal with that city to make a, a vibrant place that, um, that ac accomplishes a lot of goals, you know, accomplishes uh, from a tax and, uh, and infrastructure standpoint, we're trying to accomplish some of those varying goals. We're trying to build community. We're trying to 
be safe about what we're doing. So we want safe streets uh, and we want to really understand some of the city's goals. So there's a big listening session. Uh, then it's sort of uh, not having two meetings, it's having 20 meetings. Uh, and it's really engaging sort of deeply. And then I think for Scott and I, um, we just try to be authentic in what we're trying to accomplish. And I think it's fortunate for us, like we're trying to do a project that we're really proud of. And I think people can see that in our work. Uh, but that's something that we, you know, we're, we're tremendously, uh, engaged in this process, I think on a deep level. And so I think, you know, people tend to see that and respond in kind back. So I think that's part of my advice for folks is just be authentic about what you're trying to do. Um, uh, and, uh, you tend to have good benefits. It's also a lot of work for sure. Mm. Scott, you touched on this earlier, this question uh, that has to do with agricultural features. Can you go into more detail about what those are? Uh, thanks to Jessica for that question. Yeah, and Jessica, good to see you yesterday at Coffee on the Block. So I'm glad you're able to make <laughs> it today. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're it's a 42-acre farm altogether. Um, you know, about there's about three actual acres of vegetable production. Um, you know, we have the associated kind of small event spaces and gardens here and there for demonstration purposes. And then the other side of the farm, there's a little bit more than 30 acres in pasture. And that side of the farm is something that we want to incrementally grow into uh, and keep that narrative going and figure out what we want it to be. Uh, we're going to start with the vegetables, which are in the commons right at the beginning of the community there. The pasture is over on the lake side of the property um, right on uh, Grand Parkway. And so we're, we're toying around with a few different things. I think we want to have some sort of livestock involved in the process that would probably be poultry to start. Um, we may end up doing some orchards over there or some, some larger format crops like pumpkins or watermelons that need a whole lot of space maybe going over there. We've also tossed around the idea of experimenting with uh, agrivoltaics, which is the uh, combining of solar panels and um, livestock or, or vegetable production. And so we're, we're kind of exploring those items over there and we don't know exactly where it's going to end up, but the farm's going to be really integrated into the community as well. So, you know, we're, we try to keep our farms as open access as we can. We don't put eight foot fences and gates everywhere. Certainly if we're using heavy equipment, you know, we need to get, you need to have safety and have people stay back from that. But for the most part, people can come in through the farm wherever they want to and see everything. And we'll have a lot of programming connected into the community as well, both with the residents that live in the homes, but also with the businesses in the commons. That was going to be my follow-up is, you know, you know, we all know community gardens, know and love them. Some of them are small, some of them are big, some of them just kind of fall by the wayside and they, they all seem dead come July. How do you how do you see the ecosystem piece of the the farms and the gardens fitting into the community at large? You alluded there, Scott, to to some programming, um, but how do you see that sort of living and breathing so it doesn't become something that sort of falls by the wayside? Well, we've set this up as as our standard agreement uh, that Agmenity, our our agricultural services company, does with other developers. So there will be a professional operator of the farm who's paid to operate okay. the farm. And so along with that, then you can say, hey, then we're going to pay for a lot of programming that's really engaging with the community. So we, we have, you know, the range of programming is huge and uh, we haven't, you know, gotten through all of that yet with Indigo and exactly what it's going to be. But, you know, we're anticipating there will be some sort of community garden space where you can garden on your own, maybe under the leadership of our full time farmers on site. Um, but we also expect to have you know, programs with some of the restaurants in the commons where they're doing dinners out in the middle of the field. Or maybe uh, they're bringing their staff out to the farm to learn about how the stuff they're cooking in the restaurant 
and serving in the restaurant is actually produced in the field. Uh, and just kind of connecting all those dots in what can be um, broken chain uh, of our food system. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, I want to bring one up here from Jake. Can you share some insights about your entitlement process with the county to get them comfortable with type with this type of development pattern? Um, either you guys feel free to jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's just having conversations. Uh, you know, I think it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's a tremendous engineering piece, and so um, really trying to understand the engineering. Uh, related to drainage and detention and all of those other things. Um, but I think, you know, I think when a lot of people kind of mention these types of questions, it's really the small cottage uh, lot size, for instance. And so, uh, you know, there's a limited number of those. They're for a specific purpose. You know, there's, there's a market demand for it. Uh, and they're in a sort of mixed use category in our, in our case, in our framework. So, that takes care of some of the concerns, but also I think that there is a, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of like curiosity from, from folks in counties or even, you know, regional authorities about like how you do this in a, in a, you know, healthy and meaningful way. And so, you know, just, if there's a question comes up, we answer it uh, directly as quickly as we can. Uh, and if there's research that needs to be done, then we start uh, kind of down that path. Mm. And, and I think to answer that question too, Jake, you know, it, it like Clayton said earlier, um, it really is a matter of like getting to know those people and figuring out, you know, what are they actually worried about? Because the size of a lot by itself means nothing. Um, what are they worried about? Are they worried about people not having access to fresh air? Are they worried about um, how parking is going to work? Like those are separate issues that can be resolved in different ways. And so I, I think it's, it's really figuring out, you know, first off, who are the actual decision makers here? And so Jake in, in Fort Bend County, it's going to be your commissioner. Um, I would think, you know, we also are within the city of Richmond, Texas. And so we had to deal with the city and the county um, and had to go through kind of a dual process, which was its own um, struggle for sure. Because if they couldn't agree on the same thing, then we were going to have some contradictions. But I really think it's like figuring out who are the actual people you need to convince and then going and spending the time with them. You know, we have uh, open meeting laws in Texas, so you can't just have a private meeting with a group of commissioners or mayors or whatever, you know, city council members. Um, so it does take the time of like having the one-on-one -on -one meetings, explaining the vision, um, giving them a good reason why they should want to do it. And for us, that was mostly like human health and street safe streets related stuff. I would say with the, the market, the way it is today, attainability over and over and over again, attainability, uh, that is a narrative that is finally striking cities as, as enough city council members have uh, friends who have trouble affording a place to live, even in Texas, even in Houston, one of the most affordable markets in the country, that is really starting to become a problem. And I think that um, making sure to say, like, we still want to do really high quality homes, very high quality. We're not cutting corners. They're going to be beautifully laid out, you know, as a, as a land planner, Jake, I'm sure you could convince them of that. Um, but then say, hey, you know, here's here's what we're trying to do. And what we need from you is this change. Uh, and so, you know, maybe set it up in a way where they can take a small bite at first and not have to commit to something giant. And you have the opportunity to go back after it's been proven successful and then expand how much you can do of it. Yeah. Th this question from Donald sort of dovetails into that. I'm going to see if I can show this on screen. It's a, it's a big one. So um, I think part of it got cut off too, but he, he's asking at the end of the day here, um, where you fall in the discussion of going back to housing typologies and in, in, in building not necessarily bigger, but, but better and, and more well-designed homes. And I think he's curious about 
where you fall in that spectrum and, and how we begin to change the narrative around the home building community that has sort of, uh, I would say, become the norm in the industry in the last uh, many decades. I know you touched on this, both of you guys, when we went through housing typologies, but maybe you could speak to this again one more time. Yeah, thanks, Don. Um, and good to see you too, as always. Uh, you know, I, I think we're big believers in design. So when what happens in, in my mind, as you get denser, you, you have to pay attention to sort of all of the edges. And so we call a lot of our edges critical edges, and we pay attention to the edge of lots of things. So Maristim actually, uh, as a word, is really about it's the growth, the leading edge, uh, a growth of a cell division. And so when we think about our plants and we think about life happening, kind of happens at the edge. Uh, and so in my mind, you know, as you get denser, you start to, to really uh, need to pay attention to design framework. And so I think, you know, I, I think it's like a yes and. So it's, um, you know, I think the affordability of new home construction and really our, our precious resources, which is our land and time and life energy, all those things. Like, uh, you know, I think bigger is not always better, right? Um, we're seeing that. But to be affordable from a just pure, you know, fiscal standpoint, uh, we need to have denser homes. And so that means sort of narrower. Uh, that means we're paying attention to infrastructure. A lot of the strong towns, you know, conversations kind of come into play here as well. So, uh, you know, we've seen like we've walked to the cottages, for instance, that we were building and they're incredible. And you have no understanding of what square footage means. I mean, uh, I asked a, a president of a building company, I was like, have you ever been able to get away from advertising your homes in a pure square footage context? Because, you know, from a human standpoint, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, and she gave me some great feedback. She said, well, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean anything to those people, but it means something for all of their friends, right? When they talk about how big of a home they're buying. So I think we've got mm -hmm. some work to do as an industry. Uh, but I, I don't think, I think from a design standard, when you walk into some of these amazing homes that are, you know, we've got three amazing builders, uh, and you can go into any of their, their, uh, products, what, you know, people call it in the industry, which is still a weird thing for me to say. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and you can, you, the livability of it is, is kind of what you're actually aiming for. So, um, we pay attention a lot to those things, the edges, the livability, how it sits, like where it is, uh, within our site planning and, uh, and we know that people need a certain framework, you know, depends on the, the type of person in their life stage. Uh, and so we're trying to articulate that in a way that really makes sense to people and trying to move a little bit away from the square footage vernacular, which is, I think, less helpful generally. And one of our cottages is over, it's just over 1300 square feet and it's a three bedroom. Uh, and like Clayton said, when, you know, we walked inside a, a similar home in, in Raleigh and uh, it doesn't feel tiny. And I think that's to Don's point, it's about the design quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a book on the shelf behind Clayton somewhere there called the, the not so big house. I think um, that's a great book on how we've just ballooned square footage. And so much of it is useless. Uh, it's, it's just square footage you're paying for to air condition. You paid for the construction of it, but you don't actually use it. And so right. I do think there needs to be a return to more thoughtful architectural design in homes and the way that people are actually living today, which has changed. Yeah. Guys, let's bring this thing home with this question from uh, coming in from David here. Um, since he, since this project is unique, you know, he he mentions and asks, "Do you foresee any construction challenges?" Obviously, some of the stuff is underway, and with the state of the industry at large and, and capital staying dry, and and so on and so forth. Um, 
what do you think about this? Kind of a big question, just um, just in general. Well, we we have three amazing home builders, uh, Empire Communities, who's based in Toronto but has a division in, in Texas, um, Highland Homes, who's the largest Texas only builder, uh, and then um, David Weekly who's uh, a nationally renowned but privately held builder um, that everybody knows about. And so, you know, I think uh, there are three builders, they're production builders. So we want to be clear about this. This is not a custom home community. Um, we we want to keep our homes attainable enough. And one way to do that is through production building. It's still not modular building, which I know is in a lot of conversations right now, but at least it's a, a very standardized um, construction process. And so these are all homes that... Um, you know, some of these are new, completely new products designed for our neighborhood. Some aren't. Some have already been built other places in our market, and they're just bringing them to us here. So I don't foresee a lot of uh, challenges on the construction side, especially for the ones that have already been built. Um, the cottages may be just because it's uh, it's such a foreign concept to build a home so small. And we've already been having those conversations of like, are they just going to pour all 17 of those slabs at once? Because uh, those homes are so close together that any construction nearby is going to be um, invading, you know, the, the livability of the other homes that are, may already be occupied. So we are kind of keeping our mind open to those things, David. I, I, I do think we will run into some, but it may also be one of those things where you don't know till you know, and you have to ask for forgiveness and then plan better for the next time around. Guys, this was a super thought provoking conversation and I really appreciate your time walking through all that you have on your plate, all that you're designing for and, and thinking about and, and really like where it all comes from. I think that's that's really critical in that authenticity piece that you were speaking to earlier, Clayton. So again, Clayton Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, for any questions that we didn't get to or for things that you think about later, feel free to shoot Clayton and Scott a message on LinkedIn or uh, add the question to the thread here and we'll try to get the guys uh, over to respond to you. Um, but again, fellas, thank you so much. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, and I'll just add that we're we're an open book uh, and, you know, happy. We, we've benefited from so many other experts in this space who've shared their wisdom with us. Uh, and so it's not our wisdom that we're sharing with other people. It's other wisdom that we're borrowing. Um, but we're very happy to share that. And, um, you know, we, we see the world needs much better places for people. And so any way that we can support another developer in doing that, um, we'll, we'll be happy to share what we've learned so far as well. So really encourage people, if you have questions, by all means, reach out and we'll, we'll grab lunch or do a Zoom call or something. Great. Guys, thank you so much again. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you.